Well, if that seems a little bit too much like your life, uh, you're in the right place. Uh, we're going to help you over the next few weeks find room to breathe. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about here for, for the next uh, rest of our time. So let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that you would help us find room to breathe, that you would breathe your spirit into our lives, give us new life, give us hope, give us direction, give us wisdom, uh, so that things can really be different. Uh, you are the God of, of new beginnings. You make all things new. So we ask you to come and do a new work in our lives. We pray this in Christ. Amen. Uh, now, there, there are a few things uh, that are more settling in life, I think. Um, I don't know what your yard looks like right now. Mine does not look like this. Mine looks like a mud puddle. Um, but, uh, you know, there are a few things more settling when it's when spring, when it's summer, of, of just, you know, a yard full of green grass, especially when it's like freshly mowed. And for those of you who are kind of OCD, you know, freshly mowed in very straight op opposing lines, right? Um, there are a few things that are more satisfying than that. And I agree. I mean, I could just sit and look at nicely mowed grass all day long. It is a place where I can find room to breathe, except for the fact that I hate mowing the grass. Um, and, you know, in St. Louis... Who likes to mow the grass? It's 100 degrees here and 2,000% humidity, and so it's not fun to mow the grass. But uh, the reason I especially hate mowing the lawn is because is I've, got, I've got horrible allergies. And uh, I get what I like to call a mow hangover uh, the day after I mow the grass um, uh, because I, I feel like I wake up in the morning feeling like I, I did something the night before that I shouldn't have done. And then I remember I did do something I shouldn't have done. I mowed the grass when I have allergies. It's not smart, but, you know, I'm too cheap to hire someone to uh, mow my lawn for me. And, uh, and there was one day last summer in particular where the, the lawn was getting really high, and uh, I was busy, and I just didn't feel like getting to it. I didn't want to expend the effort or time. And, uh, and it came to the weekend, and it was Sunday, and I was here at church, and I knew, I knew that when I went home, I had to get on it right away. I had to, I had to mow the lawn. Uh, I didn't have time that week. I had to do it. And, and so I was driving home from church, and I don't live very far away, so it doesn't take me very long. And I had that feeling of dread, you know, building up in me. Uh, you know, that feeling where you just got to do something, and you know you got to do it, but you just don't want to do it. Well, that's how I felt on my drive home. And I pulled into my neighborhood, and uh, I pulled into my driveway, and, and, and I noticed at first that it looked like my neighbor had mowed, you know, a little too far over. He actually mowed all the way over to my driveway which I was really glad about because I thought, yes, less to mow. Um, and, and then I pulled around, and my house is a, a rear entry garage. I pulled around, and I noticed my back lawn had been mowed. In fact, all of my lawn had been mowed. Someone came over and mowed my lawn for me, uh, which felt great. I was, I was so relieved. I mean, talk about instant breathing room. In an instant, I felt so free and so, you know, unencumbered by uh, some of life's burdens for about five seconds. And then the guilt started seeping in. You know the guilt you feel when, uh, when, when someone has to do something for you because you couldn't do it yourself? Uh, you know, I, I just couldn't find gratitude. I found guilt. I found shame. Why didn't I get on this sooner? Oh my gosh, you did this for me. What must they think of me? Is this an insult saying, hey buddy, if you don't mow your lawn, we will? You know, you're making us all look bad. What, what is this about? And uh, therein lies the catch-22 that we're going to talk about today. That, that we all know deep down that life is not manageable on our own. Uh, deep down, we all know that, that if we could learn to rely on others, if we could learn to ask for help, it would make life so much more fulfilling and meaningful. We would find so much more room to breathe. And yet, so often, we can't bring ourselves to do it. We can't bring ourselves to ask for help or even receive help, even when we haven't asked for it. And therein lies the problem. Uh, you know, if you, if you caught the message last week, uh, I was up here and I said, you cannot find room to breathe 
until you find a clear, singular vision for your life. Time management will solve nothing. You've got to find a clear, singular vision for your life. This week, I'm also going to say something just as strong, that you cannot find room to breathe in your life if you can't learn to rely on others. You will never find room to breathe in your life if you try to live life alone. Uh, and today we're going we're gonna to go to the second chapter of Daniel. We started in Daniel 1 last week. Um, we're going to look at a narrative in Daniel um, where, where people have to abandon individualism. They have to learn to rely on other people. And uh, hopefully, even if you're like me and you hate getting help, uh, hopefully you will leave today realizing that this is essential if you're ever going to find room to breathe. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, this is not unusual, kings have dreams, they want them interpreted, Uh, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. You know, just really quick, here's what I find ironic. That most of us, we think that when we need help from others, we think that it's a sign of weakness, it's a sign of failure. Here's what's ironic to me. Um, you've got this king, and this is true throughout all time, even now, that the most successful, powerful people, they live life relying on other people, right? Um, they, they live life depending on other people to help them out. They've got servants, they've got advisors, uh, and they're not too proud. So if the most successful, powerful people in all the world have no problem relying on other people, what makes you think that it's, it's some sign of failure in life to have to rely on people? If they need people in their lives, why, why don't you need people in your life? Just a question. <laughs> Let's go on. Uh, then the astrologers answered the king. Okay, you've had a dream. May the king live forever. Some good flattery there. Uh, tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. This is how things work. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces. I'll have your houses turned into rubble. But if you can tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So this is kind of unprecedented. Not only is the king saying, here's my dream, tell me what it means. He's saying, no, 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 no. You tell me the dream. And then you interpret it for me. And uh, needless to say, his, his advisors, his enchanters, his astrologers, his wise men, they're a little taken aback by this. Watch what they say back. Uh, once more they replied, hey, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it because that's how things work here in Babylon. Then the king answered, hey, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So Nebuchadnezzar has had it. You know, he's had it with people who are going to tell him what he wants to hear, people who will not tell him the truth. He is fed up. He's decided that the only way he's going to get truth out of these people is if they agree to not just tell him what the dream means, but if they actually tell him the dream, which, which has an application for all of us in life. The reason you cannot find margin, the reason you will never find room to breathe in life unless you, relearn, unless you learn to rely on others, 
is because we all need people who will tell us the truth. It's essential for life. We all need people who will tell us the truth. You can't find margin in life. You can't find room to breathe unless you have truth. Jesus himself once said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? You, you can't have freedom in life. You can't have balance unless you have the truth. And here's the problem. We as people are masters of self-deception. So when it comes to telling ourselves the truth, we, we're not very good at that. In fact, we can make ourselves believe anything that we want to. So that's why you need other people in your life, not just people who will tell you what you want to hear because, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's fed up with this because he can do that himself. Right? We can all tell ourselves what we want to hear. He's looking for truth-tellers in his life because it's essential to living a whole, full life. And the same is true for us. We all need people who will tell us the truth. We can't do life alone. So the king put, throws down this test, and uh, the astrologers answered the king, All right, buddy, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king, except maybe the gods, and they don't live here among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So last week we met Daniel, this exile from Israel, who is, uh, you know, kind of hits the jackpot. He gets to become an advisor, a wise man to the uh, king of Babylon. Big deal. But here uh, we find that it's not such a big deal. Um, in fact, it's getting him in trouble. Watch what happens next. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I love this about Daniel, wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, he said, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven so, uh, concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel puts himself in a very precarious position. He, he puts himself between this angry king who's ready to kill off all of these lying, deceitful wise men, and uh, he puts himself between that king and his decree and all of these wise men, of which he's one. And he says, you know what, king, I, I can do this for you. Now Daniel's crazy. He's never done this before. Uh, we know that he's been given the gift to interpret dreams, but never before has he told someone what their dream was. He's not a mind reader. And yet Daniel is so confident in his God that he goes to the king and he says, king, I can do this for you. Just give me some time. And then, do, do you know, did you notice what Daniel did the very next thing? He went home, and he gathered his friends, and he pleaded with them. He begged them to pray for him. He said, guys, I, I am in a difficult spot. I have signed on to do something I absolutely cannot do. I need you to get down on your knees and pray with me that God would be merciful and reveal this mystery. See, see the second thing that we all need to grapple with today, rugged individualists that we are, is that we all need people in life who let us be needy. We all need people in life 
who let us be needy. Now, uh, that sounds simple, and yet this is so hard to do. I mean, who wants to be needy? Who, who wants to be reliant on someone else? How hard is it to ask for help? You know, admitting that you can't do something or you don't know how to do something or, or, or you, just, you just don't have the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you don't know about something that's, that's important for you to know about. Uh, most of us would rather die than ask for help. At least some of us. If we were in Daniel's shoes and it came down to a death sentence or asking for help, we'd be like, you know, I'm not sure. Let me think about that. Give me some time here. They're both pretty bad. And, and why is that? I think the answer is Pride. We don't want to admit that we don't have everything under our control. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to be a burden to people around us. Uh, you know, both my parents and my, uh, my in-laws, Joss's parents, are, are around the same age. They're both rounding 60 years old, and uh, they're talking more about work and retirement and what is next for them. And uh, it's a scary time. Those of you who are in that time frame right now, it's a scary time. The world has changed a lot. Since you started in the workforce, there were a lot more securities given to workers back then. And so it's kind of a scary time. And, and so we're, we're talking with them about their plans and trying to be supportive. And, and this, this refrain keeps coming up from both sets of our parents. And that is, even though things are uncertain and they're not sure what they're going to do, there, there's this one refrain that keeps coming back. They say, well, we just don't want to be a burden to our kids. I, you know, I just don't want to ever be a burden to anyone. And, you know, I hear that and I think, you know what, you don't want to be a burden, good. Don't be a burden. But here's an important distinction. Being needy, being in need, is not the same thing as being a burden. In fact, you, you can burden people and still not be a burden. See, the difference, I think, is all in attitude. Uh, back when I was 20, 20 years old, I was in college and, uh, and I decided to work for a Christian camp one summer. And I, I didn't know very much about the camp. I just knew that some of my friends were working there and it sounded fun. And I, and I had this picture in my head of being this cool, high, or a cool college student, uh, you know, leading a bunch of kids and youth. And I thought, oh, that'll be good to be, uh, you know, someone's idol for a summer. This sounds fun. You know, let's, let's go do that. And, uh, and so I, I signed up to go work at this camp. Well, what I discovered... Uh, shortly before I got to this camp, is that a large part of this clientele, the, the camp's clientele, were not uh, kids and youth. They had those as well, but a large part of their clientele were adults who had developmental disabilities. Um, and there were these group homes all around Buffalo, New York, who would send their residents for a week at this camp. And, uh, and as counselors, part of our responsibility was to work in this camp and to, to give 24-hour-a-day uh, care for a week to adults. And so most of the summer, I didn't spend with kids or youth. I spent the summer with two, you know, each week, two adult males who couldn't take care of themselves. And uh, it was one of the most difficult experiences of my life, especially being 20 years old. I hadn't even changed many uh, babies' diapers, and here I found myself um, brushing the teeth of full-grown men, helping them shave, helping them shower, and even helping them clean up after themselves after they used the, rest, the restroom. Uh, it was an incredible uh, experience. Very, very difficult, very challenging, very stretching to me in every way. It was not what I wanted to spend my summer doing. And yet, in all honesty, there was not a moment that whole summer where I looked at, at these men that I was caring for and thought, oh my gosh, what a burden. Never once. Instead, it, it actually began to feel like an honor to be put in a position to serve someone 
who, who couldn't take care of, of some basic life needs. You know what it felt like? It almost felt like that, that maybe Jesus wasn't exaggerating when he said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you've done for me. It felt like maybe Jesus was actually saying that that could be true, that when you serve someone in need, th- there's a great blessing that comes from it. And see, what I learned that summer is something that stayed with me even now. It's, it's that if you have a need, there's nothing wrong with being needy. There, there's nothing wrong with saying there are some things in life that are beyond my ability to do myself. What, what makes you a burden is your attitude. If, if you're obstinate, if you're prideful, if you're difficult, if you're angry about your circumstances, and you're embittered with the person who has to, to care for you or help you out, then yeah, you know what? You're going to be a burden. But on the other side, if, if you can humble yourself and accept help and be, and be gracious and be grateful and just be thankful and be loving, no matter what your circumstances bring in life, no matter how people have to come around you to meet needs in your life, you will never be a burden. It's all about attitude, not circumstance. And if you don't believe me, just, just think for a second. Do you, do you think that Jesus, when he was on the cross, and he was taking care of a need that the world couldn't satisfy for themselves, he, he was giving up his life for our reconciliation with the Father. He, he was giving up his life to take care of our need for life now and forever. Do you think as Jesus was taking care of a need that we could not handle on our own? Do you think for a second he was looking down at the people who were at the foot of the cross thinking, Ah, oh, what burdens! Not a chance. Because he was doing something for us that he knew we couldn't do for ourselves. So so Daniel, he realizes that if he's going to survive in Babylon, he's got to need people. And so he runs home and he grabs these, these guys who are his peers. You know how hard that is to ask for help from your peers? They might gloat over you. They might try to take your job. And yet Daniel, he goes home and he asks help from, from his peers. And he says, I need you to pray with me. And see, so we all need people. And this isn't everyone. Don't be one of those needy, leechy people in life. But we all need some people in life with whom we can be needy, with whom we can be vulnerable. It's the only way to live. So as a result of this, during the night, these guys are praying, and during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, uh, you know, I was going to skip this, but this is just, this prayer is awesome. He said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. And I will interpret his dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, I love this, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, but there is a God in heaven 
who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And then, and then uh, you know, if you're really in suspense right now, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. Uh, you got to go home. This is your challenge. Go home. Read this in the Bible. Uh, I will give you a hint. Uh, what, what Daniel is seeing and predicting, I believe, uh, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, is the coming of the Messiah. After three other regimes will come, uh, the, the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire will come, the Greeks, the Romans, and then the Messianic Age will come. There's a bunch of other crazy stuff out there. But go home and read. Uh, read more about Daniel's dream. You have to do that on your own. Here's what I will say. Um, that, uh, that we all want what Daniel just offered the king in life. I mean, who doesn't want someone in their life to be able to reveal mysteries and hidden things? I mean, when I think about the things in life that burden me the most, that, that just stress me out, that, that take away my margin, that take away my room to breathe, it's often trying to figure out things that are hidden, trying to understand things that are unknown, things that I can't see, steps, you know, that, that I should be taking into the future, but I don't know the future. And, and there's an important lesson here for us that, that you're not going to learn the future. No one can reveal hidden or mysterious things to you. It's, it's not going to come from Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil. It's not going to come from your friends. It's not going to come from your pastors even. Daniel's right. He says, no man can do this stuff, but there is a God who reveals mysteries. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, okay, so I don't need people in my life. I can just go ask God. Not exactly. See, what we all need is we all need people who point us to God. I, I don't know if your life is anything like mine, but when I get all wound up about something, I, I tend to get very self-reliant. I, I tend to want to just do it on my own. And one of the greatest things that God has given me is, is friends who will say, Dion, not only will they say, we will pray for you, but they say, Dion, can we pray with you right now? Because in that simple act, in that simple thing, what they're in essence doing is they're saying, we don't have the resources, we're not going to fill your, heads with, your head with wisdom, uh, we don't have the resources or the knowledge, but there is a God who reveals mysteries, who's all-powerful, he can do amazing things, let, let us help you point yourself to him. See, you, you, you can't often do this for yourself in life. This is one of the great gifts that God gives us with others. People who will point you to God, and we all need that. And because Daniel had that, uh, he was able to interpret the vision for the king. Look at how this whole thing resolves. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, just picture this. This is the king of Babylon, the, the king of the Babylonian Empire, the most powerful guy in all of the land. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate, fell down on his face in a posture of worship before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So, you know, this is a happy ending for Daniel, right? His friends got him through. He ends up successful. He gets a better position. But, but notice what Daniel does when he gets a better position. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you know what? Uh, 
can I bring my friends along with me? Now, this is not politics where if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's, that's not what's going on here. See, Daniel knows that these relationships he has are rare, they're vital, and they are key to his survival in life. And so Daniel says, you know what, it's fine if I get promoted, but, but not if that means I've got to leave these relationships behind. See, I think we, in our, our progress-oriented, uh, you just kind of culture and lifestyle, where, uh, where job transfers take us all over the place, I, I think we'd be good to remember this, that we all need people who will fight against relationship drift. We all need people in our lives who, who will fight the natural distance that creeps in in human relationships. Uh, Ryan Peterson, who used to be one of our teaching pastors here, he left us back in uh, late June or July, um, went on to teach at a university. Uh, he used to say this, he said, you know, some friendships are for a reason, some are for a season, and some are for a lifetime. And strangely, that was the last thing I heard from that guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We actually text all the time. But, uh. And you know, that's, that's true. Not, not every person is going to be a friend for a lifetime. But here's my fear that very few of us have those friends for a lifetime. Because, because stuff comes up in life and, and, and we move and there's distance and we, and we get new friends and we find ourselves just so overtaxed in life that, that we don't prioritize those friendships that make all of the difference, that are the key to living a sustainable, manageable life. See, I would advocate that for, for all of us, uh, we do, like, like so many people do in romantic relationships, where we eventually commit ourselves to friends and we say, you know what, no matter what life does to us, no matter how you get on my nerves, no matter how we may, may grow apart or how distance may challenge us, you will be my friend for life. Because it's just too important. We've got relationship ADD sometimes where we just bounce from relationship to relationship, but when we do that, we miss out on all the things we've just talked about, all the things that friendship can bring into our lives. And so here's a great temptation as we close up. Uh, you're sitting here today, and, and you're probably thinking, do I have friends like this? You know, does this describe my friends? Do I have friends like this? Some of you maybe are even feeling worse than when you came in because you're thinking about your friendships, and you think, I don't have friends like this. And, and maybe you're feeling more lonely and isolated and abandoned than when you came in. And, and I want to say this in all truth, and I know it sounds cliché. But I want you to know that even if you don't have a friend in the world, or if you feel that's true, you truly have a friend in Jesus Christ. And, and again, I, I know how that sounds. It sounds like the stuff that preachers say. But, but if you think about Jesus and, and what he means, he wants to be so much more than your Savior, so much more than your Lord. He really does want to be your friend. He, he wants to be someone who tells you the truth. He is the truth. And he wants to be someone whom you can be needy with. You can go and just lay it all down and, and it's okay. And, and he will be someone in your life who constantly is pointing you to the Father and he is someone who will fight for your relationship. Even when you are feeling weak and tired, he will fight for you. So I know that a lot of us are sitting here today saying, do I have friends like this? And you do. You have that friendship in Jesus. Maybe you haven't taken advantage of it, but you can. But, but I would challenge you with another question. Not just do I have friends like this, but, but the question I challenge you to ask yourself is, am I this kind of friend? Am I this kind of friend? Because if you start becoming this kind of friend, a friend who speaks truth, 
who allows other people to be needy and doesn't make them feel guilty or ashamed when they've got a need. Uh, if you're the kind of friend who points people to God and, and fights for your relationships, you will find friends. You will have friends uh, just like this too. You've got to be the friend that you want to have. And you know, as a church, uh, we want to help you with this. Uh, and so last week I talked to you a little bit about the Daniel Plan. It's a, it's a new 40-day study. Um, it's authored by uh, Rick Warren, um, who is uh, uh, author of Purpose Driven Life. He's a pastor out in California. Also some guys who are friends of Dr. Oz, so uh, good medical stuff. And this is a 40-day study about getting healthier, building a healthier lifestyle all around, all around health, holistic health. And, uh, and if, if you've got friends in your life, here's what I'd challenge you to do. To say, I've got friends, but I want to have the kinds of friends that Daniel had. The kind of friends who are going to ease my burdens in life and help me find more room to breathe. Well, if you've got friends and you just want to take those friendships deeper, consider uh, doing the, the Daniel plan with them. Take 40 days. Uh, there's all kinds of books and guides and DVDs and resources. Go talk to the people in our bookstore. They can help you sort through it. You don't necessarily need five books and 10 DVDs to make this work. You can do this pretty simply and cheaply. Um, but, but just get a group of friends together and say, let's do something for the next 40 days. Let's invest in each other. Let's be friends to help each other find room to breathe. If you're someone who's sitting here today and you're going, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't know that I have those kinds of friends to even take to the next level, um, here's what we'd like you to do is, uh, starting in February, we're going to get some small groups together to do the Daniel plan of just people who say, hey, put me in a group. I'd, I'd love some help. And right now, if you want to be a part of one of those groups, or if you're, if you're interested in knowing more, you can text your first and last name to 636-686-0140. So just send a text, first and last name, Dion Garrett, to 636-686-0140. We'll know exactly why you're texting us, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to get back with you over the next couple of weeks to talk to you about small groups. Because I'll say it again, I'll say what I've said in the beginning. You will not find room to breathe in life while trying to be the Marlboro Man, trying to be the Lone Ranger, trying to be the, the, the perfect mother who keeps it all together with no help and makes it look effortless. You, you will never find room to breathe that way. The only way you'll find room to breathe is by abandoning individualism and inviting others to join you in life. And that's what I want to pray about for all of us today. Will you please stand? Uh, Father, I ask that you would help us. Um, just die to our pride, die to ourselves. Uh, Father, help us truly find room to breathe by learning to, to rely on other people. God, you've designed us for relationship. And you never meant for us to carry life's burdens alone. Uh, and God, there's so many riches that are meant to be had through deep friendships where we don't just pass time together, but where we truly share life together. So God, put in us a, a hunger, a desire for those kinds of relationships. God, put in us a desire to be that kind of friend to other people. God, draw us into a deeper relationship with your son, Jesus. Uh, one that we can have friendship like, like, like nothing else in all, all the earth. Uh, one, one in whom... Uh, we can have true friendship. Help us realize that, that this thing we're doing in church can be so much more than just religious ritual, but, it, but we can be relationship with a God who truly wants to befriend us. God, and all these things, again, help us die to ourselves. Give us people in life that we can rely on. Help us find room to breathe. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.